crown him with many crowns. You know, we can say that, we can sing that, mean that, because he is risen. He's risen indeed. Thank you, Eric Hoffman. <laughs> I've been waiting all season, and you know, it's funny, because I've been waiting to say that, and I, I did it the same way for service, and it was, the, it was like, wah, 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 wah. There was just nothing there, so... I'm, I'm, I, if you don't mind, I'm going to give you one more shot with that, church. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Indeed, he is risen. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Go figure. Surprise. We've been in this series, uh, The Walk That Changed the World, and this morning we're going to kind of talk about the change the world part of that. Uh, Let me first say this. If you're new with us this morning, I know you've already been welcome, but I want to welcome you as well. My name is Rob Sweet. I'm one of the teaching pastors. Uh, I'm new, and some of you are new. I've been here about six months, so still getting acclimated to this body, worshiping with this body, loving being a part of this. My first Easter with you all, and it's a joy uh, to be a part of it. Love being a part of celebrating this day, not just in general, but with this specific group of people, with this congregation. And if you are new with us, uh, I hope that you felt welcome. We would love for you to come back, not just on Easter. In fact, next week we start a brand new series. It's on the life of Abraham. We're going to be camping out in the book of Genesis. We're not starting in Genesis 1. We're going to be starting in Genesis 12, which picks up the narrative of Abraham, one of the most significant men, obviously, who ever lived. But I love the subtitle of this series. It's this, Faith Makes Sense even when it doesn't, even when it doesn't. And certainly in Abraham's life, there are many times when God asked him to do things or believe things that did not make sense, and he only saw that begin to become clear as he stepped forward, as he moved forward. A very imperfect man, for sure, but a man of great faith. So that's what we're going to be digging into starting next week. It'll probably take us 20-some weeks to get through those passages, and we're excited about that next week. We'd love to have you with us. Well, have you ever thought about how much of our lives are defined by uh, forks in the road? Like moments in time where you could go one way or you could go another way. And you know, if you go one way, it might mean this and this and this and this and this. It changes your whole life. And you go the other way, it means something different. In fact, sometimes it's easiest to look backward and think, what were the key critical moments in my life where I decided something? Or maybe it wasn't my decision. Something happened to me outside of my control that changed the course of my life. I would say it this way, from a human perspective, from our little finite, little minute perspective, our lives are sort of defined by these fork in the road, if then moments. If I do this, then that. If this happens to me, or if that circumstance shows up, then what will it mean? If then. I want to tell you about my personal biggest if then moment. It was, it was uh, November 2nd, two thousand. And I'd been dating this beautiful young lady named Jody Johnson for two years. And she was getting a little bit anxious to know what my intentions were. What she didn't know was I'd been planning for months the most perfect proposal you could possibly imagine. And when I say planning, I mean I had a three-ring binder of like dozens of pages of plans and scenarios. Um, SEAL Team 6 had nothing on me 
Okay, I had planned this thing out. I had all these if-then scenarios. You know, if this goes wrong, then that. You know, if this happens, then that. In fact, just to kind of give you an idea of how detailed I was, part of the evening was going to include going out to a fancy dinner at this really nice restaurant. I wanted to buy her a dress, right? I thought that was pretty good. (laughs) Pretty good, all right, kind of romantic, all right? I had to stir some of that in me. But here's the deal was I thought, I don't know what size she really wears. If it doesn't fit her, what then? So I bought two. I bought one size and I bought another size, right? And I, if, if this doesn't fit her, then that. All right, so we had the moment all set up. Everything was planned. Everything was going perfectly. I'd executed this elaborate scheme to surprise her. But there was one thing I had absolutely no control over. Her answer to the question, right? So here's the thing. I knew in my head, if yes, then happy dance, you know, right off into the sunset, you know, everything's good. If no, then I had nothing. I I had no plan. I had no plan for no. Now, I'm setting this up to make you think that it went no, but it didn't. Happy dance happened, right? We rode off into the sunset, so to speak. But, but here's the thing. This was an enormous if-then moment. Now, I had confidence in the answer. In fact, I hadn't even planned out what if the answer to that is no. Now, here, here's why we, we bring all this up. Our text this morning that Eric read, these women had front row seats to the greatest if-then, fork-in-the-road moment in the history of earth. And so what we want to talk about this morning is if the resurrection is true, right? If we dare to actually believe that literally this man, Jesus, the Messiah, raised from the dead, like physically raised from the dead, not some metaphor, but literally raised from the dead. If that is true, then what? What does it mean for us? What does it mean for the world? That's where we're going this morning. Now, I want to acknowledge some of you in the room are here not because you believe in this. You're here because it's Easter. Or you're here because you're in town with family. Or you're here because, you, you know, you, you promised your spouse, hey, I'll, I'll come. For whatever reason, you're here, but you don't actually believe that. And I, here's what I want to say. I want to say, glad you're here. Right? No guilt trip. There's going to be no pressure. There's no, gonna, there's no sales pitch for me. In fact, some of you are thinking, there's no way, Rob, you could possibly in the world convince me that this person actually literally rose from the dead. And here's what I'd say. You can relax because that's not the purpose of this morning's sermon. I'm not going to try to convince you. I'm not going to give all the arguments. That's a different sermon. But what I want to invite you to do is I want to invite you, even if you don't believe, is I want to invite you to walk down this path with us, this path of what if, right? If it, if it was really true, then what would it mean? And, and if you're willing to just go down that thought process, that, that kind of journey with us this morning, and if nothing else, it'll help you understand your crazy Christian friends a little better, right? If then, if Jesus really rose from the dead, then what? What does it mean? I've got two if-then statements, two big ideas this morning. The first is this. If the resurrection is true, then the implications are cosmic in scope, and at the same time, very personal for you. If it's true, the implications are huge. They impact all of creation, the whole universe. And at the same time, they're very critically personal and important to you. Like literally you sitting in the seat. Now, what do I mean by cosmic in scope? Let's look back at the text. If you have your Bibles or your device and you're opening or looking at Mark chapter 16, look at verse 5 for a minute. What stands out to me in this version or this um, account of the resurrection is sort of the emotional language, right? The, the kind of the surprise, the shock, the awe of these women. Uh, and there's confusion. 
Their, their response is very emotional. Look at some words. I want to just pull out some words. In verse 5, it says they were amazed. Amazed. Now, look at verse 8. There's a bunch of these emotional words in verse 8. They went out and fled from the tomb. They fled, right? You don't flee if you're not emotionally charged. For trembling. Have you ever trembled before? I don't know that I've actually ever literally trembled before. This is how much this just sort of just rocked them. Trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Why do you think they were afraid? First of all, any time in Scripture somebody encounters an angel, fear is, is usually part of, the, part of the experience. But I think another reason they were afraid is they, they, didn't, they had no category for this, right? It would have been like me if, if my girlfriend, almost fiancé, had said, actually, Rob, I've, I've been with you for these, these two years, but I, I really don't think you're the one for me, so sorry you went to all this work and you bought two dresses, but, but no. You know? I didn't have a category for that, right? That, 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 this is what these women were experiencing. Now, There's no way they could understand something coming back from the dead. Why? Because that's not our experience. The world doesn't work that way. Things don't come back to life. In fact, ever since sin entered the world in Genesis 3, the Bible tells us, ever since that moment, the, the operating system of the universe is entropy. In other words, things getting worse and worse, not better and better. Things die. They don't come back to life. People get sick. Decay happens. Things go down into the earth. They don't come back up into new life. So if Jesus actually raised from the dead, then something new has occurred in, in creation, in eternity. Now, you may be thinking, well, didn't other people rise from the dead? In fact, didn't Jesus actually raise people from the dead? Yes, but they all died again, like later on, right? We claim, what Scripture claims, what we believe is that Jesus rose and he's still alive. Like, he didn't die. I mean, that was it. He's alive right now. Now, if that is true, if Jesus is alive, then one of the things it means is there's something new and different happening in this creation that's unexplainable by our own definitions. You might say it this way. Death no longer has the final say in this creation. Jesus broke the cycle, you see. And it's all-encompassing, right? The whole creation is touched by this because the whole creation was touched by death. Death is the standard standard operating system. Entropy is the way that things work. This isn't supposed to happen. Something new has occurred. And something enters into creation at this moment of Jesus rising from the dead that will come to shape and form all of creation. Where do I get this from? From the rest of the Bible. Right? We, we look forward to Revelation, and, and it describes a new heavens and a new earth, things that are being made new, following Jesus in the resurrection, things coming back to life, restored, renewed, and it's going to be awesome. I, I want you just to imagine all the beauty of our current creation without all the bad stuff, right? without the decay, without the death, without the groaning, without the angst without the anxiety, without the pollution, without the litter, without dead things happening, without other things taking advantage of other things and organisms warring with each other and fighting with each other. Imagine the beauty of this earth minus death. That's what's on the way. You see, Jesus, when he comes back, he says, behold, I am making all things, all things new. Resurrection happened. Resurrection will happen again. That's what it means for all of creation. All of creation is touched by this. 
That's what I mean by cosmic in scope. Now, this is the message that the church began to proclaim after the resurrection. In fact, they, they'd been gathering, or you know, the, the Jews had been gathering to worship God on Saturday, on the Sabbath. They switched to Sunday after the resurrection because they recognized how like this changes everything. Like new game, you know, the reset button has been set. Things are starting afresh again. We're gonna we worship on Sunday for that reason. So here's the message of the early church in relationship to this. It's our message still today at fellowship. This world of entropy and heartache is not the end. That's what we proclaim. A new world is coming. And that world will be a restoration of God's original intent for his creation. Just as Jesus defeated death and decay, the whole creation will be revived and made new. The creation will breathe with resurrected life. It's cosmic in scope. And yet, at the same time, it's very personal for you. It's very personal for me. Uh, I want to show you something in the text Um, I love how it was these three women that were the first to get the news. Right now, what were these women doing? They were coming to anoint the body. Now, you know, the, the, the Jews didn't mummify. That, that, that wasn't their practice. But they would anoint dead bodies with oil just to preserve a little bit, but, but to help with the smell. And it was an act of love. You can imagine how intimate that errand was that these ladies were on. And I imagine them walking toward the tomb fragile from the events that had transpired on Friday. Probably scared. They were likely weeping and crying as they entered to the tomb. They had a plan to anoint the body, but what they couldn't prepare themselves for is what they actually found. No body. The stone had been rolled away already. There was a man inside who was a messenger from God, and he told them, look, something new has happened. Jesus is alive. In Luke's account, we we learned something else that the angel said that's not recorded in Mark. It says, why would you search for the living among the dead? Right? Something new has occurred. Now, here's what I think is so personal about this moment. God knew that these women were on the way. He sent this messenger just for them. Now, why would he do that? I think he did that because he knew that the resurrection was not just cosmic in scope. It didn't matter just to creation as a whole. It mattered to these three women who loved this man, Jesus. Another example of how personal this news was, the angel says this in verse 7, but go tell his disciples and Peter. Now, Now, why did he throw that and Peter in there? Okay, Peter was one of the disciples, right? Well, here's the thing about Peter. Yes, he was a leader of the disciples, but more than that, Peter's the one that denied Jesus three times. And after that third denial, it says that he went outside the, the gates of the city, the walls of the city, and wept bitterly. So what I think's going on here is Peter is carrying around some shame and some guilt, some remorse, some self-hatred, more than the other 10 apostles that were still remaining at this point. So the angel's like, make sure Peter hears this news. Peter needs to know this news as soon as possible. Peter needs to know because he's carrying away. He doesn't have to carry anymore. It's so personal. It's personal to the three women. It's personal to Peter. I think it's just as personal to you. Just as personal to me. Now, how so? How is it personal to us? Um, I want to invite you to think about something for a minute. Um, I believe the resurrection proved that Jesus didn't have to die. He had the power all along. He didn't have to go through it. That means he voluntarily submitted himself to crucifixion. Now, why would he do that? 
Scripture is clear on this. It's because of you, because of me. We were dead in our sins, all of us. All of us have rebelled in our heart of hearts. All of us have said, God, at some level, I'm not going to let you fully be king. I'm not going to let you fully be in charge. I want a piece of that. I I, I want a part of that. And and some of you have rebelled in big ways, and some of you have rebelled in little ways. Some of you have rebelled in obvious ways where you, you know, you sort of kind of just wear your sin on your sleeve, so to speak, and others of you in your own self-righteousness and your hard hearts have also rebelled just as much. We were dead in our sins. A price had to be paid. Now, here's the thing about the resurrection. I think the resurrection's proof positive that it was paid in full. If Jesus hadn't been raised from the grave, how would we know that the price he paid was enough? How would we know that the debt was settled? How, how, how would he know that, that God received the sacrifice of his own son, but instead he was raised back to life. And, and so here's how I've been thinking about this this weekend. Some of you were here for our Good Friday service and we kind of left you in a, in a, a tension, kind of a longing of, of, will Sunday please hurry and get here so we can celebrate again? Here's what I've been thinking about this weekend. The cross reminds me that my sins are far more serious than I would like to admit. But the empty tomb reminds me that God's love toward me is greater than I imagined. You've got the cross, you've got the empty tomb. The cross tells us that we're all guilty, we're all a part of that. The empty tomb says, that's okay because the price has been paid, right? New life has happened. Things are beginning to be restored into the way God intended for them to be before sin entered the world. Now, for some of you, this is your if-then moment, Right? This is a life-changing idea. I'm not going to try to convince you. Here's why I believe the resurrection is true. By the way, I believe it is literally true. But here's what I will say. If it is true that Jesus died for your sins and was raised back to life, then here's what that could mean for you. Number one, your guilt no longer needs to separate you from God. Number two, you can live without shame and condemnation. And number three, you're free to stop trying to earn his acceptance. It's been given to you. He takes your guilt. You get his life. Now, this is grace. This is what we call the good news, the gospel. And and all you do is believe. Now, what does that mean to believe? Well, it means that you believe that this was done and it was for you. And you trust in the one who did it. You trust in your Savior. You believe and you trust. That's all it means. You don't have to get real religious. You don't have to like give a bunch of money. You don't have to pray some special formulaic prayer. You don't have to come down an aisle at some point. You, you, you just believe. You just say, man, this seems crazy, but somehow I believe this. It's true. It's, and it's from me. And then the scripture says, at that moment, you're a new creation. And you can begin living differently. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. If you come to believe this, I know this is no small thing to believe. Right? I, I, the the Spirit actually gives us the faith to believe. If you come to believe this, then you become part of the spectacular new creation that's on the way. And and even more, you begin to see why death and the resurrection of Jesus is not just good news for creation at large. It's good news for you. It's good news for you now in your seat this morning. It's personal. You might say it's actually the best news of all. Frederick Buechner, a Christian writer and pastor, and he wrote this. 
turn around and believe that the good news that we are loved is better than we ever dared hope. And that to believe in that good news, to live out of it and toward it, to be in love with that good news, is of all the glad things in this world, the gladdest thing of all. If the resurrection is true, then the implications are cosmic and yet very personal for you. I want to give you one more. If the resurrection is true, then the implications are eternal, but at the same time very immediate. What I mean by that is, if the resurrection is true, then there's a sense that new life and hope and all of these things that we've been singing about don't just await you after you die, but they can be a part of your present, current experience right now. The resurrection shapes not just your eternal destiny, but every moment, even mundane moments of your day. Now, how is this so? Well, we we usually think about Easter only in terms of, yeah, God did this for me so that then, you know, after I die, I can be with him in eternal life. I can be in heaven. And that's all true. I'm not taking anything away from that. And and obviously, that's our greatest hope. And we're even going to sing about that at the end of the service this morning. But I think there's also something true. It can be immediate. It should, in fact, fuel us and change the way that we live. Let me give you an example from this passage. The angel says in verse 7, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So the good news for the disciples was not, hey, Jesus is risen, and um, you know, I, he, you're not going to see him. You're not going to be able to interact with him, but someday when you die, you'll see him again. That wasn't the good news. Right now, you know, if the resurrection hadn't happened and someone had kind of like hit a body and, 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 or, or they'd done something like this, then that, that would have been the thing to say, right? It's just, go tell everyone he's alive and, and he, he, he's already gone up. You can't see him, but he's alive. Trust me. Believe me. That wasn't the message. The message was, you will go to Galilee. You will eat with him. You will touch him. You will see him. It's good news not just for then. It's good news for now. All right, now, Here's the thing for us. Different circumstances, right? Same principle. If the resurrection is true, the implications are not just for the future. They're very much for now. Now, now how does this work? I want to give you two examples of how this may play out in your life, this immediate idea. Number one, the finished work of Christ means that you are loved right now as you are right now, not some future version of yourself. Now, now this one, I'll be honest with you. I struggle with this. And here's why I struggle with this. Most of my life, I I kind of have been thinking, you know, God kind of loves me in a global, universal sense, but I think deep down, he's actually kind of disappointed. I should be further along than I am. Uh, I've been given all this truth. You know, I've been place in a good family. I've had these educational opportunities. I've got good friends, and and, and I'm still a wreck. I'm a pastor. I I should be waking up at 5 a.m. every morning and having an hour and a half quiet time, right? Here's what I'm coming to believe more and more, that there is no future version of Rob that God will love more than the Rob that is. Now, those of you who are parents, right, 
you can kind of grab onto this if you think about your kid. And, and I know in this room, we've got kids that are like obeying and they're doing really well. And we've got kids that are gone. Like they're just breaking your heart, right? But what you know is your love is unchanged for that child. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what they do, right? C- can you just trust the word of God when it says that you're loved now because of Christ, not some future version of yourself? It'll change the way you live. It'll change the way you think. Here's the second example of what I think it means to sort of live immediately out the implications of the resurrection. It means that no present life circumstance has the power to steal away the permanent life and joy and peace that is in Jesus Christ. I want to just read over you, don't turn there, Romans chapter 8. And as I read it, I want you to think about whatever the the, the hard circumstances in your life that you're wrestling with right now, whatever it is, the biggest one. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship? Shall persecution or famine Shall nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul's saying in this passage. Paul is saying, show me your most intimidating, devastating monster of a circumstance that's staring you down right now and I will show you something that cannot touch the castle walls of God's love for you in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Like, are you able to sort of dig down and say, this is for now, this is for me. It will change the way you view your circumstances. Some years ago, a Christian poet named Robert Lynn wrote a poem for a friend of his that was struggling through one of life's most difficult circumstances. This poem took on a life of its own. It kind of went viral on the internet. Many of you may have heard it. I want to read to you these words Robert Lynn wrote for his friend who was struggling. He wrote, Cancer is so limited. It cannot cripple love. It cannot shatter hope. It cannot corrode faith. It cannot eat away peace. It cannot destroy confidence. It cannot kill friendship. It cannot shut out memories. It cannot silence courage. It cannot invade the soul. It cannot reduce eternal life. It cannot quench the spirit. It cannot cancel resurrection. You see, our present hope is linked to a future hope. The future hope that one day we will follow Jesus in resurrection. That our bodies literally will be raised up and made new. That there will be no more crying, no more tears, no more pain for the former things have passed away. That's our future hope. Now, it links to the present hope because the reality is new life starts now. We don't wait until then to begin to understand I am loved and begin to live out of that truth. New life starts now, but will be fully realized when Christ returns. 
So this is why we like to sing songs about the future. You know, those of you that, that come to church, like, man, they're just always singing about the future, always singing about heaven. The, the reason is because that gives us hope for now, right? That informs us. In fact, I'd say it this way. We look back at Jesus' resurrection, and we look forward to our own resurrections so that we can have the courage, the faith, the hope to live well in this moment and the next, and the next, and the next. This is how the Christian life works. This is a life of faith, so we want to do that. In just a minute, we're actually going to have a song sung for us and then participate ourselves singing about the resurrection that we look back on and we look forward to. And we're going to have an opportunity to say, hallelujah, right? I, this is true. I believe this. We had a team meeting of our Franklin staff on Thursday. We were talking about a lot of different things, getting caught up, talking about the big weekend, you know, coming up. And uh, Connie Dunlop, who is our children's ministry director, she had this big smile on her face the whole meeting, right? And at one point she said, there's nothing you guys can say that would bring me down today because my daughter's coming home from college today, right? I get to be with her. I get to see her. In fact, I'm, I'm going to go meet her, you know, after this meeting is done. So we were like, oh, that's, 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 that's wonderful, Connie. Praise God, you know, whatever. And then, but, but then it got funny because all throughout the meeting we started like throwing things at her to sort of see. And so at one, at one point Eric was like, hey, um, you know, those, those new classrooms that we said we were going to build to sort of relieve all the, like, the, the problems that we're having with being full, you know, uh, we're not doing those anymore. You know, that's not true, by the way. I mean, just not starting rumors. And like the whole time, Connie was still smiling. She's like, nope, nope, you're not going to get me. And then someone else was like, hey, by, by the way, like, did you hear we had 20 workers call out for Easter Sunday? Like, they're not showing up. You know, you're really going to be in trouble. You know, Connie's like, nope, not going to touch me. Now, here, here's the thing. There are certain things in life that if you really believe them, if you know them deep down, they change the way you see everything else. The resurrection of Jesus is this moment for us. Right? It's this if-then moment. If this is true, then look what it means for you. Look what it means for your now. Look what it means for eternity. Look what it means that no circumstance that anybody could possibly throw at you is going to touch you, right? You're untouchable in the hope and deep peace that you have. Now, that, that doesn't mean that life doesn't get hard. It doesn't mean you shed tears. It doesn't mean that you, you just pray in angst and agony to your father at certain times. But it means that you're secure in the knowledge that you are loved. If the resurrection is true, and we would stake our lives as believers in Jesus that it is, then here is something you can know. You are deeply loved by a resurrected Savior, and he is on his way to take you home. Bow your heads with me. As we just reflect on that, as we think about, Father, how deep your love is for us to do this. Uh, God, we've experienced a lot of Easter's. There, there is a sense when it comes around every year that we sort of shift into an automatic mode of the festivities and the family and the church service and the meal. Father, help us. Help us to see, give us eyes to see what this actually means. 
And I pray that, that, that even today, uh, we, we would begin to come alive and just, just sort of just locking into this truth. I'm loved. He's going to come back. It's going to be okay. And I pray for the men and women that are here that are just struggling. Like they, they've just brought some things into this room this morning that are hard. Would you give them hope? And I pray for those that don't yet believe Give them faith to believe, Father. I just long for their souls to come alive with this message that they would put your trust, they would put your, their faith in you and that they would experience how wonderful it is to know you and have a hope for the future that's more real even than their current reality. Father, help us to worship you well now even in these moments as we enter into this song, as we remember and we look forward in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.